Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools and data that help power their emerging markets business strategies. My name is Joel Taylor, Client Services Director for FSG's Asia-Pacific Division. The topic of our podcast today is China. Recent policy missteps have shaken confidence in the government's ability to drive steady growth in the economy. As a result, we've received questions from numerous executives regarding the potential for a hard landing in China and the effects it would have on the rest of the world. With this in mind, we recently wrote a report addressing these questions called The Global Impact of China's Slowdown. Joining me today to share some details on the report is Adam Jarzik. Adam is a director on FSG's Asia-Pacific Research Team and has been leading our efforts on this topic. Adam, welcome. Thanks, Joel. It's good to be here. Let's begin with some context. Uh, Why is there so much focus on Chinese reform right now? Sure thing. There's a lot of focus on reform in China right now because the country is in the middle of an unprecedented economic transition. In recent years, Chinese leaders have relied heavily on investment to drive the economy. Their investments have fueled a dramatic increase in the country's heavy industry, infrastructure, and real estate development. But unfortunately, this growth model is no longer working as well as it once did. China's getting lower returns on its investments and facing suppressed demand for its products and markets overseas. As a result, the country's leaders are trying to move the economy to a domestic consumer-focused growth model that will support sustainable development over the long term. This transition, a challenging one for any country in the best of times, is being complicated by a couple of factors. The first is that the Chinese government has left itself little margin for error during the transition. In the years following the financial crisis, China's leverage levels skyrocketed. The country's debt load now exceeds those of most developing markets and many large developed markets. As a result, China's future borrowings will be constrained by concerns about its ability to take on additional debt. Indeed, many economists are worried about the country's capacity to support its current debt load, particularly if there's a significant disruption in the market. The second factor is that the Chinese government must balance competing goals during the economic transition. Uh, Leaders recognize that the current economic model is broken, but they can't simply jump to a new one. The transition must be gradual because it requires difficult structural reforms that will slow the economy in the short term, and the government can't afford for short-term growth to drop too much because it would directly impact the legitimacy of the Communist Party. As a result, leaders are trying to find the middle ground between propping up short-term growth with familiar tactics that are becoming less effective and improving the economy's long-term trajectory with painful reforms that will take time to take effect. Sounds like Chinese leaders are having a daunting, have a daunting challenge ahead of them. Uh, the question is, are they up to the task? Up until recently, most people would have told you that they were. China's grown so quickly and seemed to weather the global financial crisis so well that many came to see the country's officials as practically infallible. But recent missteps have undermined this confidence, creating a huge amount of anxiety in the market. And are there good reasons for this anxiety? Yes and no. Some reasons are more legitimate than others. Uh, Let's take the recent correction in the Shanghai stock market as an example. Some people in the media seem to believe that the recent decline in China's stock market is a sign of underlying weakness in the economy and cited as a factor in the country's slowdown. This is a fundamental misreading of the situation. The link between China's equity markets and its economy is extremely tenuous, 
So in and of itself, the decline in Shanghai's stock market shouldn't be a cause for anxiety about the country's growth. Instead, it should create anxiety about the government's capacity to manage a crisis. What became clear during the stock market decline is that China's ministries often act in isolation and sometimes even work at cross-purposes with one another. In the case of the stock market, it was the CSRC and the PBOC, two organizations whose inconsistent responses fed volatility. Now, these were two fairly liberal, politically aligned organizations. What happens if we have a similar situation that involves two organizations that are opposed politically? Would the government be able to align them and drive towards a coordinated solution? Nobody's really sure, and that is a legitimate reason to be anxious. So does that mean we should be wary of China's growth prospects in the short term? Not unless there's a major shock to the economy. In the short term, the Chinese government still has a lot of firepower left. When it comes to monetary policy, leaders have plenty of room for loosening because real interest rates are still quite high. You might ask, hasn't the central bank been doing that already? Uh, They have, yes, but the cuts have been relatively small, usually just 25 basis points at a time. If the central bank were to continue drawing down interest rates by the same margin, it could cut rates more than 15 times before reaching zero. Additionally, China has plenty of room to cut its uh, reserve rate requirement ratio, its RRR, which dictates the amount of money that banks must keep in their coffers. RRR cuts would add significant liquidity to the economy. Every 1% cut is estimated to release about 1.5 trillion yuan, or about 2.4% of current GDP, into the system. And the central bank likely has room to cut around 6.5 percentage points from current ratios. When it comes to fiscal policy, the government also has options. Uh, There are numerous channels through which Chinese leaders can boost short-term growth through public spending. Indeed, the government's already started accelerating investment in a number of areas, including energy and transportation infrastructure. But this option comes with a caveat. Fiscal stimulus would require China to heap more leverage atop a growing pile of debt that already threatens the country's long-term development. So it sounds like China's debt is certainly an issue to watch closely in the, in, over the medium term. But I want to draw, come back to a comment you made uh, earlier. Uh, you said we, we wouldn't need to worry about short-term growth unless there was a major shock to the economy. Are there any particular shocks that we should be watching out for? Yes, and one stands out above the rest. In China, the property market poses the largest downside risk to growth. That's because the Chinese economy is heavily leveraged to the real estate market through multiple channels. To give you an idea of the nature of this exposure, let me share three statistics. Number one, real estate and construction account for as much as 30% of GDP once the indirect benefits to other sectors, sectors like cement, glass, etc., are taken into account. Number two, domestic banks are heavily exposed to property prices. Mortgages now account for around 40% of the collateral underlying bank loans in China, and if you include land uh, in that figure, uh, the number rises to around 50%. And number three, property accounts for approximately 60% of Chinese households' wealth, significantly more than cash, stock, or wealth management products. The bottom line is the disorderly adjustment in the property market would be a devastating blow to the Chinese economy, hitting its companies, its banks, and its consumers. And of course, it wouldn't just hit them individually, there would be second and third order effects from the shocks. Uh, Banks would stop lending to companies, companies would cut employment, and consumers without jobs would reduce their bank deposits, etc., etc., etc. 
the impact would reverberate through the economy and would likely result in a sharp slowdown for China and a nasty adjustment for the rest of the world. And what exactly would that look like? I mean, if there were a hard landing in China, how would it impact the rest of the world? In the report, we actually share the results of a sensitivity index we built that quantifies the impact of a Chinese slowdown uh, on countries around the world. In particular, we took into consideration three factors that together measure the direct and indirect impacts of China's slowdown on its trading partners. Uh, The factors were, number one, China focus. So how dependent on demand from China is the country's export base? Uh, Number two, commodity reliance. How dependent is the country's economic performance on commodity exports, which are impacted directly by a hard landing in China? And number three, export concentration. How critical are exports to the country's economic performance? The results are pretty interesting. Broadly, we found that Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, and parts of Asia would be hit hardest, while Western Europe, North Africa, and South Asia would be relatively well shielded. With that said, there are variations within each of these regions, so it's important to consider the impact on a country-by-country basis. We recommend that executives use this index to identify markets that are both highly at risk and significant to their portfolio, uh, and then build contingency plans to protect their businesses there. That's certainly something we can assist with, so if you're interested, just let us know. And Adam, before we wrap up, could you talk a little bit more about what sort of research FSG is doing to help companies better understand China's economic trajectory? Sure. We'll be coming out with a new report later this month, building on the one we discussed today that'll explore some of the nuances of China's economic statistics and identify leading indicators that B2B, B2C, and healthcare companies can use to stay ahead of shifts in the economy. We've also just released a report that analyzes the government's plans to develop its base of industry clusters and that explains how companies can use this information to better inform their decision making. That's great. Adam, I want to thank you for the great insights. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. I just want to mention that Adam is available for one-on-one conversations with FSG clients. Uh, just reach out to your account manager if you are interested in scheduling a discussion. And, we, and be sure to download our full research report from the FSG research portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Thanks for listening.